0: I'm not going to ask you the question of whether or not you ever have had any trouble, problems, difficulties, disappointments, discouragements in life. Because you're a very unique individual if that's not true. Every one of us, at one time or another, to various degrees, find ourselves distressed, in turmoil, facing difficulties, overwhelmed at times with the problems that are upon us. The question is not whether or not you will face difficulties, trials, and problems in life. The real question is how do you handle them? How do you cope with them? What do you do about them? The psalm we have before us in Psalm 25 gives us David's outlook on the problems that he was facing and how he handled them and provides for us instruction in the way that is beneficial for each one of us to approach, to handle the problems, the pressures, the difficulties that we face in life. As we look at the introduction to the psalm, we have The Hebrew verse 1, but in our Bibles, a superscription, it just says, a psalm of David. He doesn't give us any other historical information or background, but there are certain things that we can surmise from the psalm that at least provide us with um, a speculative understanding of when it may occur. David is being hounded by opponents, by enemies who are laying traps for him, who are seeking his life, who are looking for ways in which they can capture him, trip him up, and eventually destroy him. We also know as we read through Psalm 25, David is cognizant of offending God. And so it would have to be in relationship to a circumstance where David was acutely aware of the fact that Something about his life, something of that which he had done, was not pleasing to God. If you just look at what he says in verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord. And notice that we will find in Psalm 25 repeatedly the word Lord in all capital letters. Not only the first letter of the word Lord, but... All four letters of the word Lord are in capital letters, which helps us see in our English Bibles that the Hebrew word that is there is for the personal name of God. And so David is saying, for your sake, Yahweh, the personal God, the covenant God, the creator God, the God who has been pleased to make himself known to human beings. The God who has been pleased to show grace and mercy and compassion on undeserving sinners. The God who David said earlier as we recited in verses 4 and 5. Why is it David is asking for the Lord to make him know his ways, to uh, teach him his paths, to guide him in his truth, and to teach him? It's because he said, For you are the God of my salvation. You're the one that delivers me from my ultimate danger and just retribution for my sin. You are the one that delivers me from eternal punishment. But David also understood that God is the one that intervenes day in, day out on behalf of his people. He is the one that provides his people with not only the provision of their needs, but bringing things together to care for them in times of great trouble and difficulty. You are the God of my deliverance, of my deliverances. And so he says in verse 11, for your namesake, for your name, for your reputation, Yahweh, Pardon my iniquity. Why? For it is great. Now you and I are in the business often, inappropriately, of beginning to structure sin and little sins, big sins, great sins, not so bad sins. Sin is sin. And the wages of sin is death. But here David says his sin is great. What does David have in mind? It's the fact that whatever is the circumstance, it dishonored God. All of our sin dishonors God, but often it's in a private, almost unknown to the rest of the world way. Some of our sin that dishonors God is the thoughts that we have, the way we respond in a situation. But when David says pardon my sin, for it is great. It provided the enemies of God an occasion to say, huh, he's a God-fearing man and he could do that. What kind of a God is it that he serves? And sometimes when we look at the events in David's life, we find certain things that happened in David's life that cause us to say, wow, how could David do that? And the reason we say that is because of the way it so publicly dishonored the Lord. So whatever is the occasion, David is very cognizant of the fact that he is involved in circumstances where he's being disciplined by God. And he needs God's intervention to deliver him from his trouble and his problems. If you think of this psalm, it falls into the main category of a lament psalm. And we've talked about this before. And a lament psalm just means that it's expressing sorrow and difficulty and concern. And one of the greatest books of the Bible that is a compilation of five lament songs is the book of Lamentations, where Jeremiah is lamenting. He is expressing his grief and sorrow over all that has befallen the nation of Israel because of their disobedience to God and the uh, conflicts that were taking place from the Babylonians invading Jerusalem and leaving the city in rubbles. This is a lament song. David is focusing on the grief and the sorrow that he is experiencing. Some of it has to do with the attitudes of his heart. And by attitudes of heart, I'm not talking about the uh, fact that he was thinking evil thoughts against God or inappropriate thoughts. But David was overwhelmed by the pressures and the stresses that were upon him. And he didn't know how to handle it or what to do with it. And in addition to that inner turmoil that's going on with David... There is the opposition of his enemies who are seeking to thwart or uh, pull him down. It's a lament song. But the other thing I want to emphasize, it is also a song of hope. To the God-fearing individual, to the believer, whether it's because God is chastening for something we have done inappropriately... Or we're the object of his chastening because he's continuing to refine us and conform us to the image of Christ. Or if it's circumstances that he is bringing into our life and we find that this world, which is not a friend of grace, of which Christ reminded the apostles and through them reminding us, since you're not of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. In the world, you'll have many tribulations. But don't get down. Be of good cheer. Because I've overcome the world. For the child of God, regardless of the cause for the circumstance or the problem, it is never hopeless. Because nothing Absolutely nothing is too hard for God. He understands the things that give us headaches because we can't comprehend. When we've come to the end of our resources, He still gives and gives and gives again. And He cares for His people according to the strength and the power that was demonstrated when He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. His hand is not too short. That it can't deliver. His wisdom is not limited, so he doesn't have the answer to the dilemma we're in. The reality is, there is no circumstance for the child of God that is hopeless, because God is the one that has promised, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. He's the one that we had sung a a hymn that's related to this great statement of Jesus Christ in John 10 that he's the good shepherd. And he gives to his sheep eternal life. And guess what? Not any one of them. No matter how small, how feeble, none of them will perish. He doesn't lose any of his sheep. And he is the one who is with his people in all times. The other thing for us to know about this song is that it's an acrostic. In other words, it's an alphabetical song. It was meant to be memorized. It was meant to be studied and understood. Its design is to teach us important spiritual truth. And if nothing else, what it tells us is that when we go through times of difficulty, when we are in the dilemma because of our own foolishness, of our own sin... Or God's providential working in the affairs of our life, guess where our focus needs to be? It needs to be on God. And what David does in this psalm is he focuses upon the Lord and his covenant faithfulness, his loyalty to his people. Key phrase or term that is used in this book of Psalms, uh, Psalm 25. Notice in verse 6, Remember, O Lord, or remember Yahweh, your compassion. That is that God is a God who is moved with concern to provide for the well-being of his people. And your chesed, your loving kindness. And he brings that phrase chesed up again and again. Why is it that you and I can have confident hope in any problem we face because God never goes back on his word. God never fails to do what he has said. He has never been obligated to make any promise to any human being. He did it of his own free volition. And the reason he made these covenant agreements to his people is so that you and I will not get discouraged as we go through the problems in life. God did need to invoke a contract or a covenant, an agreement with His people, as if God was wondering whether or not He would do what He would say. But as the writer of Hebrews tells us, He did it first by making a promise, and then by making that contract, by establishing His chesed, His covenant with His people... He did it so that we can have a sure hope. So we never wonder, did God really mean what he said? Will God really do what he said? The second thing we see in this song is that David focuses in his time of difficulty on the character of God. What happens to us when we go through times of difficulty? Well, the first is the evil one begins to work on us and we become a very cognizant of the fact that we're really not worthy what did I do wrong why is this happening to me and sometimes we have even individuals like Job did will say man you must have done something really bad for that to happen to you that's the human mindset David recognized his unworthiness Didn't want God to remember any of his offenses. He's the one that recognized that if God would number our sins, there is not one human being who could ever stand before God. And when we go through times of trial, we become very aware of the fact that, you know, we really are unworthy in God's sight. But instead of continuing to look at his problem, where did David put his focus? Notice what he says in verse 8. Good and upright, that is righteous, is Yahweh. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are chesed. They're in keeping with his covenant faithfulness. They're the absolute that we can build our lives upon. They're truth. And to those who keep his covenant and his testimony, God shows this special favor. You'll notice he says in verse 6, remember your compassion and your chesed, because they've been from where? From old, from everlasting. So another point for us to remember is to not only focus upon God as we go through times of difficulty and stress, but hasn't God been faithful to you in the past? And what amazes me is how often I find out, you know, you really didn't learn that lesson very well because when the problem comes new, I go into my panic mode. And then I have to take the deep breath and think back. God took care of you in this situation. He provided for you in that situation. His compassions have been the tenor of how he's dealt with you. And so it is, I'm in this difficulty and I need God's deliverance. There's nothing I can do to change it. And what I need to do is focus on God, his unique, wonderful character, and the fact that he has so faithfully cared for me in the past and to know that the way he's operated in the past is the way he always operates. And he'll take care of me in the future. And in the verse we memorized, as one commentator indicated, what we really recognize is we don't know how to put it together. We need God to give us understanding. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, and who is that blessing for? For you are the God of my salvation. God is very kind to his people, and as we go through those circumstances and difficulties of life, he teaches us more about himself, the sufficiency of our God, the way he cares for his people that we would have never learned otherwise. This one commentary said, Man is so wanting in spiritual understanding, so morally blind and ignorant, that unless enlightened from on high, he cannot discern aright the way of godliness, he does not know what God would have him to do. Where do we find ourselves? In humble, total dependence upon God. And because of that, what David says is characteristic of his life, is when I'm in a jam or when things are going well, there is someone that I look expectantly towards each and every day. How about you? For you I wait all the day in spite of things in David's life that we so vividly remember, so we're reminded that David was only a sinner saved by grace, the tenor of David's life was one of humble dependence upon the Lord. And what was characteristic of him, from sunup to sundown, all the day, I'm waiting I'm looking expectantly to God to do on my behalf what I can't do for myself. This lament song of David falls into three main categories, even though there's urgent prayers offered in other parts, but it's his petition where he says, to you, O Lord. The point is, I'm not looking anywhere else. I have no other foundation upon which I can depend. No matter how well meaning people are, they'll let us down. But those, he says in verse 3 none of those who wait for you will ever be ashamed. That is, you won't be disappointed, God won't let you down. You won't be embarrassed because you find out what you were depending upon was an insufficient hope. But for the rest of mankind, for those who feel treacherously, it may seem like it's clicking for them in the moment, but they're the ones that are going to be disappointed. They're the ones that are going to be embarrassed. They're the ones that are going to be let down because they have been hoping in that which cannot deliver. They have been hoping in that which isn't sufficient, to meet their need. So David offers his petition to God that God would intervene and deliver him. In his perspective, he recognizes that God is the one who because of who he is so wonderfully cares for his people in verses 8 through 15. And then he reiterates his prayer again Verses 16 and following, turn to me and be gracious because I'm lonely. I'm alone. Well, whether David had people around him or not, one of the things that happens to us when we go through difficulties is boy, we feel so isolated. And the reality is, there's only one who really understands, there's only one who can really comfort our hearts. There's only one who can put it all together for us, and that's the Lord himself. And with that, I'm in great oppression and affliction. The troubles of my heart, they're enlarged. Everything seems to be so out of order. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. So bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble, forgive all my sins. Look upon my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a violent hatred. Guard my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. And David understood that if his life was to be one that delighted the heart of God, God had to be the one doing the work within Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. And what's true for David is true of all of God's chosen. And so David ends with saying, Redeem Israel, O Lord, out of all his troubles. God alone is the one who can bring deliverance to his people. So, what do we learn? I know I for myself I learned that like David we're going to face overwhelming problems in life. But like David, we need to understand the only sure hope to cope with those problems is the Lord Himself. And He is the one that will not disappoint, will not forsake, will not abandon His people. And the certainty that we can have is that the Lord is the one, as the author of salvation, graciously bestowing it upon his people, who forgives us for our sins, who will not forsake us, who delivers us from the pressures and the problems we face in life, who provides for us in our every need so that we can glorify and honor him.